1: welcome everybody to the hammer and rails podcast back in your ears once again i'm your host andrew ledman
0: And I'm Casey Bartley.
1: And we have a jam-packed show, so no question at the top. Sorry, Casey, I know it's your favorite part.
0: Yeah, well... After last night's sham, little sham electricity going out, I'm just glad to be here recording with you.
1: There you go. There you go. Doing it during my son's nap time, so we are ready to go. So today we're going to talk about a little more in-depth look at the Michigan State football game. Then we're going to talk about the Bellarmine basketball game with a brief look ahead at Friday's game. And then we're going to finish off after the break with a uh, discussion about Ohio State and, as always, our predictions. So, as Casey said on the pod that was released on Monday – um, I was actually in West Lafayette for the Michigan State game. It was the first Purdue football game I've been to in person since uh, the Minnesota game two seasons ago when Rondale Moore uh, got hurt, and uh, our quarterback also got hurt on the same play. So I thought maybe I was bringing some some bad vibes to the stadium, but that was not the case. Purdue obviously walked out a 40-29 uh, victor ruining the perfect season for the then number three ranked Michigan state Spartans. Um, I mean, it was just, it was a great atmosphere at the game. If it was not listed as a sellout, it was, uh, incredibly close. I mean, there were very few empty seats. Um, Newman it it was very Newman packed in, in there. Uh, quite a few Michigan State fans, more than I thought would be in attendance. Uh, but, you know, I guess when your team is 8-0, and 5-0 in conference and uh, ranked in the top three, you're probably going to travel a couple hours for, for a, a game that you think you can walk away with a victory. So, um, Casey, I know you touched on uh, your initial um, impressions from the game, but one thing I just want to remind you of is you said in the previous podcast that if Purdue won – you would no longer talk negatively about Purdue football. So I wonder how that makes you feel.
0: I mean, I went on a uh, a Chicago radio show two nights ago, night ago, something like that. You know, the week before I'd been on a Michigan State podcast. I believe I was told that I am the most pessimistic fan possible for Purdue. I was who on Sunshine.
1: That? What? Who said Who told you that? Someone on Twitter. Oh, good. I okay. I thought you meant like when you were recording.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it, it was someone who didn't feel good about Michigan State and someone that didn't feel good about Purdue there.
1: Gotcha. uh, Gotcha.
0: Last night with some, uh, some Big Ten media guys, all sounded, all of them had like Pappy for a nickname. They were all like, you know, Chicago Nick. Had a lot of fun, but I, I was all sunshines and roses. Um, picked Purdue to cover easy 20. Said, why not? Let's, let's go win again. that's who we are now. And yeah, I, I, I'm tired of being the Debbie Downer, Ledman. Ready to get my heart broke.
1: So, um, we, we're not going to go too terribly in-depth to this Michigan State game because we do have other stuff to talk about, and we want to look ahead to Ohio State. But some things I just want to point out, Um, th- there were just so many amazing plays in that game. Obviously, the the standout play to me is the jackson Anthrop touchdown. Um, the I don't even remember what it was. Double reverse. Double reverse. Flicker, uh, double reverse back wide receiver the, screen. There you go. I mean, and, and Brahms said he saw that on YouTube from some high school team and he was like, I bet we could do that, more or less.
0: He is way more productive uh, on YouTube than I've ever been.
1: I know, yeah. I've never watched just something on YouTube and be like, I can, you know, take that into my everyday life and make things better. No. Um so I mean it was just incredible. And you watch that play and I've I've probably watched it about a dozen times now. And you see Milton Wright, uh he was one of the guys that got the ball initially in the trick play to start, and then as he sees Jackson Anthrop cut to the right side of the field you can see on the on the wide angle you can see he realizes oh he's coming to this side where I am he might need a block and Milton Wright just sprints down the field for about 40 yards and winds up making a block that probably opened up the touchdown for Jackson Anthrop along with David Bell uh, who was also on that side of the field so the two of them opened up uh, blocks at the end that really secure the touchdown for Jackson Anthrop and I think that says a lot about the team and the, the toughness and the fight that that Brom and this offensive staff have instilled in them because you're not often going to see your star wide receiver and and Milton Wright, probably the second best wide receiver on the team, be sprinting, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field to get a block uh, near the goal line. You know, that that's going to be a play they might take off a little bit because they've done their part and the play's on the other side of the field, but these two didn't give up and ultimately it resulted in a great touchdown by Jackson Anthrop.
0: King Doru also sprinted down the field behind the play a little bit
1: to keep okay. it held up.
0: I, I think the thing that stuck out to me most about that, yeah, you love to see the effort, but also the fact you had three Purdue guys clearly outpace Anthrop. So we ran that play with yeah, that's maybe true. our fourth slowest receiver, <laughs> and we still scored a touchdown as he was yeah. zigzagging across the field, which is you don't ever get to see a chance where there are literally a wall of five offensive lineman in front of a guy left of the hash that doesn't happen it's it's pretty much it looked more like when a field goal comes up short and someone returns it
1: yeah that's true because he Cause was just all over just the field a
0: line of people and then it looked like no one on the field that, that was quick enough to do anything about it. it was tremendous play calling at the exact right time and yeah just just a huge play.
1: yeah i mean it was crazy and then Obviously, you know, special shout out to David Bell. 11 receptions, 217 yards and a touchdown, including one where he just tiptoed the sideline, basically threw the DB off of him into into the uh, sidelines and then skittered another 20 or 30 yards down the down the field. And I mean, the way these guys played this receiving core just played fantastic. Um, Brock Thompson with a great touchdown and a couple catches. Um, Garrett Miller, I thought stepped in great um, for the injured uh king Do- or King Doru, uh Payne Durham I mean he had eight receptions for seventy four yards, including the catch on the sideline where i don 't know how he dragged his foot after he caught that ball, um, but that was one of the best catches i 've seen probably from anyone on this Purdue team this season. Um, just the the presence of mind to to hang on to the ball and know you've got to get that foot down. Watching it in live action, I thought there was no way he had that. Um, and then kudos to the camera crew, because they had at least three angles of that catch. And, uh, I mean, it was just incredible that he got that foot down. So uh, great play and great game for Garrett Miller uh, in the absence of Payne Durham.
0: Yeah, we had a lot of guys step up. I think we knew going into the game that Michigan State did not have a good past defense i don't know if any of us yeah last thought, in the conference it's crazy that we're this far into it we haven't mentioned in o'connell he went 40 of 54 for 536 yards no interceptions three tds played an absolute perfect game i think yeah. part of our pessimism going forward is we didn't know it we thought AOC could be decent and at times get hot. We didn't know he could put an entire perfect game together, tossing the ball around 54 times in a high-pressure game.
1: Yeah, I mean, because it's not like it, – this isn't like the game against UConn where you're playing against a bunch of scrubs. You know, this is – again, they were 8-0. and They were number three in the country. And, yes, their pass defense, not great. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this is a Big Ten squad, and they've got the athletes out there. So to see him go, like you said, 40 to – 40 of 54, an astounding 536 yards. Um, that is just crazy. Uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Hats off to him. Uh, you know, what a game uh, by that guy. Um, and, you know, I we, we've talked a bit about the offense, and I think we have to highlight the defense as well. I mean, sure, Kenneth Walker III ended up with 136 uh, rushing yards, which is just, a, you know, another average game for that guy. But I mean, it did take him 22 carries, which still averages 6.2 a yard uh, a carry. But for him, that's about average. And for Purdue's defense to hold him to about average, um, you know, I'll take the the team only ended up with 182 rushing yards, which is is good. Uh, I'm glad Purdue was able to do that. We we stopped him on some key some key drives there. So uh, I mean, I can't say enough about the defense. They did exactly what they needed to do. Um, you know, they, they came up big on big plays. They, you know, defended some passes. And, I mean, they just did, de- you know, Dedrick Mackey had that interception. There was, it, it was just a great game all around by everybody. I mean, it was just incredible to see. And to see Purdue knock off a second top five team in the same season is just astounding.
0: Yeah, we have a defense that, we have a defense of chaos. They are very good, but the biggest thing they do is come up with big play. And it's not... It's not always turnovers, which, you know, we did force the interception, had the fumble. Those are big plays. We have consistently on first and second down been able to get into the backfield force second and 50, force third and 11 after decent gains on first down. Those are the kind of plays that even if we're not play to play the best defense, you know, one of the more talented defenses, we make plays when we need to create some chaos. The other offense doesn't look comfortable and that allows our defense to get off the field get the ball back to our offense. We, Our offense still didn't score that well from the red zone. There, there's still stuff to mine here. We finally moved the ball really well. We still have to get better in the red zone, which means there is potential for improvement still on the offensive side of the ball and the defense. So this is a very, very encouraging second upset of the
1: yeah, I mean after after having seven points in the in the first quarter, 14 in the second, Purdue had a touchdown in the third quarter, and then the last uh, 12 points of the game, four field goals. So, in if again, like you said, if Purdue could improve on that, they'd really have something going on offense. Uh, but kudos to uh, Fine Rand who after you know having a couple games where he struggled, he was four of four, and granted the long was only 29, but those were big field goals. They were field goals Purdue had to have uh, because it really took Michigan state out of the game especially that last one to take the lead from eight to 11 especially since michigan state had just scored a touchdown in under two minutes and converted the two-point uh conversion so that was huge uh for purdue and huge for Feiner, and hopefully that'll boost his confidence back up to where we saw him at the beginning of the year
0: yeah definitely can't this game's a different game if he misses any of those so oh absolutely definitely
1: good to see him back yeah so
0: i hope we never have to call his name again for the rest of the season
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, one final thing before we move on. I just want to say I had a great experience at the game. Um, The Michigan State fans were incredibly nice. Uh, Folks actually sitting right in front of us were Michigan State fans. Um, You know, they complimented uh, the stadium, one of the – people who, who was sitting in front of us said, you know, you guys have a really beautiful stadium. And I don't know that I've ever heard the words beautiful stadium applied to Ross aid, but I'll take it. And I mean, uh, it's pretty aesthetically
0: pleasing. It's in a nice part of campus this time of year around there. Very pretty. Yeah. all the I, leaves I Changing colors, that. all the brick. Uh, it, it's definitely prettier this time of year than. Any other.
1: Yeah. And and this was also my first time there since uh, the new video board was put in the south end zone and the new ribbon board in the north end zone, which I actually sat directly underneath uh, the ribbon board in the north end zone. Um, my family seats are uh, up in the very top row, which is actually kind of nice because you don't have anybody breathing down your neck Um And after the game, we did rush the field with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Surprisingly, very orderly, getting down. You know, no, not a lot of pushing, shoving, yelling. Uh, The the Purdue students were very polite. A lot of just good (laughs) vibes down there. So. Uh, that was a lot of fun, so uh, if you haven't been to Ross State in a while, it's definitely quite a different experience than it was just even a few years ago, so obviously if you can find a way to the IU game in a couple of weeks, I would definitely recommend it, so that is all for Michigan State, and uh, just what a game, uh, what an experience, so I was glad I was able to take that one in, so yesterday was the kickoff, well, tip-off, I guess, we're not in football anymore, it was the tip-off of the actual Purdue basketball season. Purdue played Be- the Bellarmine Knights. Uh, they walked away with a 96-67 victory, and the game really was never in question. Um, you know, Bellarmine had some some good three-point shooting uh, for a little while in the first half, but Ultimately, it was never a game that was in question. Um, it, one of the more interesting things to me from the Purdue side of the ball was Trevion Williams only played 15 minutes, one for one on the on field goals, wound up with seven rebounds. But uh, that was surprising. And of course, it was announced before the game that both Waddell and Trey Kaufman Wren are redshirting. Um Casey, before we get into the Bellarmine game, what did you think of the news? Obviously, the the Waddell news was not surpri- not surprising in any way. We expected that. Uh, but what did you think about the news of Trey Kaufman wren uh, redshirting?
0: Yeah, the Waddell was expected. He had he had no minutes on this team. Uh, Trey Kaufman wren definitely more su- surprising just because of how good he was coming out of high school. But if you look at everything object. The hardest thing is to imagine an 18 year old who knows he's that good to be like, yeah, sure. I'll sit out an entire, st- yeah, I'll just hang around and watch these guys play doing the number one thing I love the most. So it's emotionally hard to be like, well, yeah, of course. But when you look at this team, it makes sense. Even without Trey Kaufman Wren, there didn't appear to be a hole at the, f- we're not sure what Trey Kaufman Wren is yet right now, you know, coming into high school, he's probably from high school, probably not quite strong enough where you want him to be at a four and probably not quick enough to guard the wing. So he was probably an in-between place, maybe pick up five to 10 minutes a game. That's if he plays well. We've got a lot of guys. First looked really good. Edie's good. Williams is good. Gillis is still on the bench. He hasn't come back yet. Newman's good. Where where are you finding these minutes? Morton was shockingly good. I think you got to see everything you wanted out of him. I'm yeah, sure
1: absolutely. I'm sure
0: you'll bring him up later. Uh, but wh- where are their minutes? We have we have a 10 man rotation already where we're going to feel like we don't play enough guy.
1: Yeah. So, and, and I think it was, I think it was you in the group chat who in- compared this to the Newman red shirt. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that was, that comparison made a lot of sense to me because it's not as if Brandon Newman could not have played or was not good enough to play. It's that, was he going to be playing enough to justify losing an entire year of eligibility? And I think it's the same situation with Trey Kaufman and Wren,
0: Yeah. And I think, The most important thing is not about the basketball court. The amount of trust these young kids have in Painter in this program, because this this isn't something that's just out of good faith. They have seen it happen. They watch Sasha, Aaron Wheeler. They watch Newman. They all redshirted knowing, hey, if you're around this program, you're going to still be involved. You're going to get better every day. And as soon as you step onto the floor, your second season – with a full four years of eligibility ahead of you, you are going to hit the ground running. You are going to be above what you would have been as a true freshman. We're going to give you plenty of opportunities. And next year, uh, that load of deep, deep talent gets a lot less. We don't know who we're all going to lose for sure, but we know we're losing a couple wings. We're losing a big man, uh, maybe two. So there are minutes next year for someone who can score at all levels that can be the kind of player that we think Trey Kaufman ring could be. But he's not better than first, and he doesn't play the role that this team needs most this season that other players do more. So good sign of maturity on his part to realize a good system around him to realize that, Hey, this is the best for you. I know it's going to suck at times, but we're going to look out for your long-term future. You're going to get better every day with us through the season. Don't worry. I got you. Next year, you're going to be awesome. You're going to be ready to go.
1: Yeah, and I and Painter spoke about it in a – I believe it was the post-game press conference. Uh, I could be uh, mistaken there, but anytime Painter redshirts someone, it's got to be a mutual decision between Painter and the player. He's said this numerous times. You know, If a player comes to me and we sit down right before the season starts and I say, hey, I think you should, should redshirt, and they say no, he's like, all right, oh, I'm not going to redshirt you. But understand, you know, you might not play very many minutes, you might not, there might be a, you know, a string of games where you don't play. Um, but apparently the conversation between Trey kaufman wren and Coach Painter went very well. Um, and he understood the situation and said, yeah, you know, rather than be in the situation where I might not play for weeks, but I burn a year of eligibility, uh, I'm going to take the red shirt. And, you know, I, we don't know the exact conversation, but I'm sure it was, I'll take the red shirt and I'll work and I'll get better. And next year I'm going to play a ton. So it, it is a great sign of maturity, like you said. Uh, An ability to know where his head is at and where he's at on this team. So I think it's a great sign for the future of this Boilermaker program. So before we look into the future, let's talk about the present. Like I said, 96, the 67 victory over Bellarmine, Uh, again, a school I had never heard of until I saw them on the schedule.
0: No pass university or no dribble. no dribble yeah. university.
1: Yeah, apparently they dribble as you know as less as possible, least amount of possible. I don't know. I it was a very weird video. I wanted to watch <laughs> just the Bellerman part, and then they did like six minutes at the front about other stuff. Um. So who stood out to you? Um. Either from a returning player or a uh, a new player that really stood out to you. Uh, in last night's game.
0: It's got to be Isaiah Thompson, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I was waiting
0: for I mean, you it's, to say that. It's not the first name you expect me to say, but he was really good. Uh, 15 points, 24 minutes, four assists, no turnovers, five no to turnovers, eight from three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't ever expect him to have a high turnover rate because mostly he's a guy who catches and shoots and gets rid of the ball up top. He's not a playmaker for other players, not really a driver into the hoop. He doesn't get into situations, should turn the ball over. But damn, he looked like a knockdown shot. He's always been a good shooter, but I've never. I, it really looked good today. Really knocking down those threes. What's in the open spots? Uh, so yeah, between him and our other sharpshooter, Sasha Sivanovich, who yeah, missed, his three, missed, missed his first three, missed his first three. He's a little excited being in front of the crowd, put it long, knocked down five more the rest of the game. Didn't miss another. Had twenty three points. Uh, just really good. And if. If those two are going to shoot like that all season, that's scary for other teams because those are two lockdown, lockdown shooters. And yeah, both of those really impressed me. Both of them know what they are. They've both been in this program for a long time. So to see them be able to get those shots, get open looks, knock them down when they were there, very, very promising.
1: Yeah, I mean, between Thompson and Sasha, they played a, a combined 48 minutes. They went 10 of 14 from three. Uh, They had seven turn or seven assists, zero turnovers. Uh, I mean, if if we can get those kind of numbers from those two uh, and they combined for 38 points because Sasha was six for seven at the free throw line. Um, I mean, just a great performance from the pair of them. And that kind of three point shooting really is just uh, I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see. And it was really something that Purdue was lacking at times last year. Um, especially, I think we talked about it when we were doing the off season reviews, you know, Sasha was great against lower teams, but often, um, as the competition heated up, he missed uh, a lot more of his threes than we'd like to see. So obviously this isn't a true check of, of, of that, if he's going to be better against those better teams, but you, you obviously want to see him hitting these against uh, a team like Bellarmine. So one of the things, um, again, I mentioned it at the top. Um, That was interesting to me. Trevion Williams coming off the bench, only had 15 minutes, one of one on uh, field goals, hit two free throws, seven rebounds, three assists. Just some great passes, Mm -hmm. um, as we we always see. Uh, Did turn the ball over twice. um, But, uh, you know, you compare that to Zach Eady. Eady got 21 minutes, four for five on field goals, including uh, quite a few dunks. And then 8 of 10 at the line grabbed nine rebounds. So really between the two of them, uh, 36 minutes, which, you know, uh, we kind of expect not many uh, times that one of them will not be on the floor. But uh, how do you explain the lack of production from Williams and the lack of minutes?
0: I mean, first of all, he didn't want to shoot. He didn't care about shooting. He was clearly holding the ball knowing they had to double and all he had to do was wait about two seconds and it was coming and he would have it. Over. It was definitely a game where he just looked like he was toying with him. Second of all, I don't know if his knee is still bothering him. I don't know if something happened before the Indianapolis game or if it was just the Indianapolis game where we saw him leave a couple of times, saw him gingerly kind of move, hop around on it. It didn't look like me. It didn't look to me like it's someone who had a ton of confidence on like getting low, pushing off on that knee. I'm wondering if he's nursing that a little bit and just decided to, I know I can get other guys involved without doing too much work. I'm just going to do that, which is fine this early in the season. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's,
1: it's not a game we had to have Trevion go for, you know, 20 and 10 or something.
0: Also first game of the season. There's a lot of, a lot of parts around him. He had a great year left. He was incredible the whole way through. There's a lot of guys on, on the floor who finished their season pretty bad last season. I don't know if it's if it's him just trying to get them involved. You know, Newman, Stavanovich, Thompson, all of these guys were the brunt of his passes, open looks, things that he's going to create for him all year that he's always shown a willing. Maybe he's just trying to get them into the game. He's been here four years, has played big minutes from the moment he stepped on to Purdue campus. So I'm not worried about it. I, I And honestly, I think Edie will probably outscore Williams on the year. That's what Williams does. That's his most elite skill. Trey can do a whole bunch of a lot of stuff. He doesn't okay. need to just score. And I think we're gonna we put up lineups like that too. We're gonna we're gonna surround Trey with shooters. We're gonna surround Edie with guys that can play defense and get him the ball. Cause Edie can't be stopped. Sixteen yeah. points on five field goal attempts.
1: Five shots, yeah. And so many of them were just he gets the ball within four or five feet of the basket, takes one step and he's at the rim because he's and he's dunking. And good luck to to Bellerman, who's I believe tallest player was six foot seven, uh, to stop that. I mean, there, you just can't. If, if Purdue puts the ball in the right place to get Edie the ball at you know at at his shoulders, there's absolutely no way you can stop that short of trying to tackle him.
0: And there's there's not really anyone. We saw it at the U nineteen. There's not anyone in the world that can really stop a guy that big,
1: right? Except for maybe that guy from France.
0: He couldn't stop him.
1: He's he, <laughs> he, well, right, he not at just least tall. Go again. He is a tree.
0: The the same way Haas was super tall and thick. Only Edie can move a little more. So you're yeah. not dislodging him. He, yeah. He's not soft. He goes hard at the rim.
1: Yeah. So, um, what did you think of uh, your boy Jaden Ivey? Uh, I'll give you a second to think about it as I go over his stats. He he played 25 minutes, four of 11. Uh on field goals one of five from three two for three at the free throw line wound up with a total of five rebounds three assists two steals uh four turnovers uh had 11 points on the game so uh what did you think of ivy i think we have a We're
0: going to have a philosophical dilemma throughout this. We watch, especially when Edie's on the floor, he is just going to man up underneath the hoop. It, It makes sense. If he's there, he's open, get him the ball. The only problem is someone like Ivy, whose best skill is getting to the hoop, it's really hard to find lanes and get to the hoop. If there are two big men standing in the paint at all time, there is going to be a problem of how do we balance Ivy getting his, being able to run the offense attack, and having the big guys down low for offensive rebounds and then the easy basket opportunities that they provide. That is going to be the balance in what Painter has to figure out on the season going forward. I don't think it was very clean this first game. It didn't really need to be. Ivy had such a height advantage, you're not going to ask him to move out. But I'm curious if... Painter already has in his back pocket. Okay, Edie's not getting a bunch of stuff inside. We need more guard active. Will we bring Edie out, play the high pick and roll with him and Ivy? Let them create space that way. Let Ivy have some, you know, room to attack the basket. That's where Ivy's best. He didn't get much chance to do that. And I'm fine with him taking open threes. He was one of five from three. Uh, obviously not a great shooting night, but I think you have a guard like that. He's going to get hot in stretches. He's not going to be, you know, Sasha out there but I think he needs to be willing at all times. So defenses have to respect that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I assume like you do that painter has something in his bag where he can say, Hey, you know, Ivy doesn't, Ivy has not been getting the driving lanes that we need him to get. Let's pull Edie out of the lane. Let's do some pick and roll. Like you said, I'm sure there's, there's wrinkles in the offense that painter can throw out there because you don't have a guy like, like Jaden Ivy on your team with his talent and you, you don't muzzle him. You don't, put him in a box, you say, hey, I've got things that will specifically work to get him the best possible position to succeed. And I'm sure in a different game, Painter would do more of those things, but at this point, when, when Bellerman's tallest guy is six seven, and you got Zach Eady down there, why not just feed him and see what he can do? So I think it was just fine. Obviously, I don't love those percentages from Ivy, but I don't think that's going to be something we see every game. Um, two more things I wanted to mention before we move on um, to look at the next game that's coming up uh, Friday, so that would be tomorrow. Uh, assuming this comes out later today, uh, Caleb First was the uh, leading minute getter for Purdue, 27 minutes um Only one of three on field goals, missed both of his three-point attempts, but had nine rebounds, uh, one assist, turned it over twice, wound up with only two points. But I thought, you know, for a freshman who's getting his first real game action, um, I thought he looked really good out there. And I expect him to uh, continue to play in that that four spot and give Mason Gillis a run for that position, even when Gillis comes back from suspension.
0: He's so much taller than I think every time I see him on the court. He's got center (laughs) height. Like, he's just long – and he is so fluid when he moves first yeah. is such an exciting potential threat on offense and defense for the way that he moves. I will love once he gets a little more comfortable and once Gillis is back for some Gillis first lineups where we don't have either big men on the floor and let, let first be that high pick and roll up top with Ivy. And that is going to be a dangerous pick. And roll. I, I just love the way he moved those nine rebounds. He earned those. He moved all around the floor to get them. I just think that kind of size in athleticism is so rare and just a nice little thing to have on this team that didn't have holes already. But to add that, I I'm really excited about what he's going to be, especially when he starts to get comfortable and figure out how to score. On this level.
1: Yeah, because you know he is still a true freshman, just graduated high school, first real game, um, so you expect a little awkwardness, a little kind of finding his place, and I, I'm sure first we'll get there. So looking at the rest of the team, uh, Brandon Newman played 19 minutes, wound up with 14 points. Um, most importantly to me, 5 of 6 at the free throw line. Purdue overall was 24 of 29 at the line, which is great news. They started out 16 of 16, um, which was obviously what you want to see. Uh, for me um, – We'll look at Ethan Morton, obviously one of my favorite players on the team, who I think can be a huge asset. Played 18 minutes, two of three from the floor, including a one and, and one that he did convert the free throw of. Wound up with four rebounds, three assists, four steals, and no turnovers. Um, and that's what I want Ethan Morton to be. I don't think at this point he needs to score the ball a whole bunch, but if he, he can got get bullied. Well, listen, I'm not saying bullied, he's perfect, but over to and over down, again. To, to wind up with four steals, uh, three assists, and four rebounds, uh, I think that's a stat sheet that you're going to like because he's going to be a guy uh, who can go out there, play in surges. He's not going to get 20, 30 minutes a game, but he's going to get the most out of the minutes he's out there. Um, and then finally, Eric Hunter Jr., 19 minutes, only two of six from the floor, um, but you know he did get uh, a rebound and assist, a steal, and no turnovers. So he wound up with six points in the night. Purdue overall got a little bit of action from everybody. Um, that's what you want to see in these early games. And then tomorrow night they are on real TV, so actual Big Ten Network um, tomorrow against Indiana State. I don't think it matters what we know about Indiana State. This is a game that Purdue should win. They pur- they should win easily. Um, and hopefully we'll see some continued growth from the team. Is there anything in particular um, that you didn't see in the first game that you're hoping to see in this second one?
0: How do you feel about Friday night games?
1: I love them. Personally.
0: I love them too. They're just a nice little... You know you don't have to worry about the next day going to work or anything. You just kinda live in that moment. It's just so nice to get it out of the way, have the whole weekend behind you, especially with football yeah. football still happening.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, he goes to bed at goes to bed at around eight. So that means if if there's a game at seven, it means I've either gotta like watch it on my phone or I've gotta like record it and catch up. But an eight thirty tip off I, I can watch, you know, straight through live right. action from beginning to end.
0: Uh You asked me what I wanted to see. I want to see Newman take nine threes again.
1: I don't care how they fall.
0: I want to see him be aggressive, take those shots. And I want to see Ivy, I want to see us create some space for however we have to do it. Let him be able to attack the basket a little more, give him some more space, maybe give him a whole side of the floor if we can. Those two things I want to see. I I want to see pretty much everything else just keep up. I want to see them be consistent with it. I want Sasha to hunt his shots, knock him down. I want Thompson to take his shots, knock him down. And just you know thirteen turnovers wasn't bad for the first day, I don't think we rebounded very well
1: I, I mean we beat didn't we out rebound them by like twenty yeah I yeah. mean, I'll take that. you can say we didn't rebound well, but I'll take rebound out rebounding your opponent by twenty.
0: I get that, but we also said they had two guys six seven
1: yeah, but you know i again i'm not gonna I'm not going quibble without rebounding your opponent by twenty. <laughs> I so, want thirty well, that's fine, but we can always want more, but I'm not going to say they did poorly. you're not wrong.
0: I just want to see a little more urgency on the board.
1: Yeah, that's fine. All right, that's fine. I'll live with that. All right. Well, that's what we've got for Purdue basketball. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to look ahead and make predictions for the Ohio State game coming up this Saturday, 3.30 on ABC. And we are back to talk about the Purdue versus Ohio State football game coming up this Saturday. Purdue heading into the Horseshoe, which is never a good place to be if you're Purdue football. Um, Terrifying place to play. Not a lot of wins uh, when you travel up that direction. So Purdue, of course, coming off the big win against Michigan State. Now, depending on which poll you look at, if you look at the AP, if you look at the coaches, or if you look at the college football playoff, um, Ohio State is fourth in the college football playoff, and then I believe sixth in the AP poll. Uh, so we are going to go ahead and pretend that they are number four because uh, that makes them a top-five team, and that makes them a team that Purdue is more likely to defeat. So uh, and, and then And then to go with that, we have to go with Purdue being unranked in the AP poll because – We only beat top five teams when we're unranked. So we're going to mix and match, and we're going to call Ohio State number four, and we're going to go with Purdue unranked. Does that make sense Thanks AP. Yeah, I don't know how we're not at least 25th. It seems odd to me, but you know what? Uh, Especially because I think if you looked at the uh, overall ballots, Purdue was as high as something like 15th.
0: Thanks, Hawaii.
1: Yeah, that guy from Hawaii, but ultimately wound up unranked. So who knows? Uh, I mean, I don't do the rankings, so whatever. So Ohio State, of course, 8-1 and one on the season. They lost that early game to Oregon, currently undefeated in the Big Ten, uh, coming off a 26-17 win at Nebraska. Very uh, unimpressive in that game. Uh, before that, they were 33-24 against Penn State. So those are their two most recent games, and uh, they have, I believe— Also, one of the worst passing defenses in the Big Ten. I believe they're 11th in the conference, give up around 250 yards per game. So if Purdue is going to pull the upset, that is how it's going to have to do it, similar to how they did it against the worst pass defense in the Big Ten uh, against Michigan State. So, Casey, what else can you tell me about Ohio State that seems relevant to this situation?
0: Well, first of all, I don't know how relevant their passing defenses, defense numbers are they're up big in a lot of games there are a lot of teams that are going to throw late that are going to rack up those yards late so i you could say they're one of the worst defensive secondaries but i tend to believe they're a little bit better than that they're you know they're giving up less than 60% of their passes completed uh they're only giving up 6.8 opposing yards per pass which is 30th best in the country and they have the 12th best sack percentage on this.
1: I don't love that.
0: <laughs> Those things scare me. Where they where they suffer is they just give up a lot of pass. So yes, we will have to throw a lot.
1: But I mean, we were going to have to do that anyway. It, doesn't right. matter. it really didn't matter if they came in with the 11th ranked uh, pass defense in the conference or the first ranked pass defense in the conference. Purdue is going to throw the ball. That's the only way we can succeed.
0: Absolutely. And that probably means that it's going to come down to how well does our line perform? I'm very confident. We have very talented receivers. We have talented tight ends. We've got a good passing game. You know, we've obviously got some trick plays up our sleeve. It's going to come down to is Ohio State Buckeyes defensive line allowed to absolutely havoc AOC, who at times has has looked, you know, less than mobile. And at times, you know, breaks away from a sack and finds David Bell last second. I don't know what's happening in our world anymore, but yeah, I just hope that uh, we're going to rely on short passes. It would be nice if once again, a top five team decides, you know what? We can take on David Bell without clamping him down with two or three guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to get, get open without the pressure getting to the quarterback.
1: Yeah. I hope, I hope their plan for David Bell is more Iowa than Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, I think we need to get in the ear of whoever whatever cornerback is their best and just be like, take him on one on one. Come on.
1: You can do it. It's, t- it's gonna t- be t- a challenge. T- t- into it. Let's you're, go. you're you're gonna make money for yourself if you can do this against David Bell. This is how you get picked. This is how they're gonna make you make you money for Sundays.
0: So yeah, we're we're not gonna run on OSU. They have you know, they're allowing three yards per rush on the
1: that that would be an improvement for us, I think.
0: <laughs> those the hard? it's hard to take those numbers entirely seriously because of the sack thing. Since they get so many sacks, it's definitely going to drive down that number a lot. But this team always has first round talent on the defensive line. Linebackers at OSU, they play in the NFL. We will have to attack their secondary. We already know that because we're never going to run down the throat of any team. So it's going to be pass protection. It's going to be, we we can't kick field goals in the red zone against Ohio State. I'm pretty confident. And OSU on the year, they score a touchdown in the red zone, 94.74%. That's the sixth best rate. In the country.
1: Yeah, they, they, just, they just score a lot of points. Yes. I mean, you, you look at um, their, their schedule thus far. They've scored 45, 28, 41, 59, 52, 66, 54, 33, 26. And that 52, 66, 54 run right there, those were all against Big Ten teams. Granted, it was Rutgers, Maryland, IU, but still, those are conference opponents, and they're throwing up 50s with no problem.
0: Yeah, it's Stroud has had, has that offense humming. They don't run a lot, but when they run, they're the third best yards per rush, averaging 5.7 a carry. I think we've seen that, that we do create some holes on the offensive line, or our defensive line can kind of get overrun by big uh, offensive lines. We saw that with Wisconsin, so that's definitely a concern. I... I this is going to be a game where once again we have to be a defensive chaos. We have to get a 3 down loss on first down. We have to get a sack on second. We've got to we've got to be sharp and those those wide receivers for Ohio State are terrifying. I don't know how many I don't think we can count on them overthrowing wide open receivers beyond our safeties as we've lived on most
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Stroud is a 67% completion kind of guy, uh, long of 75. That you know, my hope was that he'd be a an interception machine, maybe because he is a young quarterback. But he's sitting at 25 touchdowns, only five interceptions, and he's been sacked just seven times. So. If Purdue is going to find a way to make big plays on defense, it's going to have to go against what Ohio State has has allowed all year. You know, just five interceptions is pretty darn impressive.
0: And they are a team that runs a lot of vertical concepts. Generally, I mean, last year, the entire offense was Justin Fields setting back there, waiting for three guys to run deep. And then looking at its option deep route to go left or right up the.
1: Yeah, and they and they've and, got so much talent. Their wide yeah. receivers can just blow by you, and all of a and even if you have two good corners in that situation, you're looking at your third string guy or your third corner, and all of a sudden he's beat by a step, and you're and you're screwed.
0: Even if you argue that David Bell is the best receiver in this game and in the Big Ten. The next three best might all be on Ohio. That that part worries me most. Our safeties are aggressive. We like to keep them up at the line of scrimmage. We have seen where if if quarterbacks have time to look deep, there usually is someone open because we're not meant to defend for four to five seconds. No defense really is, but we don't have those bursts of speed safeties and quarterbacks that stay up with these elite athletes. And I am worried that they're going to connect on one, two, three, four four big plays and all of a sudden the game's kind of out of hand before we even really have a chance to get comfortable
1: yeah um you know like like we just mentioned ohio state scores points they score a lot of points and you know as as happy as we are right now with the way purdue football is played after they beat michigan state It is still true that they have not been an offense that has been putting up tons and tons of points on the board, and no matter how well the Purdue defense has played, like you said, they will invariably allow a big play here, a big play there. Ohio State is simply too talented. You know, the defense is not going to be able to put a perfect game up on the board, so there are things that are going to happen, and Purdue has to be able to keep up with the Ohio State offense, and I'm just not sure that they can.
0: Yeah, it's concerning. Uh we are this this will be the hardest. If if we were to upset Ohio State, this would be the best upset out of those yeah. three, not yeah. even close. Ohio State, you know, Michigan State and Iowa got a lot out of being undefeated. Their ranking was purely based off we are undefeated. That looks really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, then undefeated again, in a power conference. It doesn't matter really who you've played. The voters will take you seriously.
0: The the only thing that has me optimistic is Ohio State. Their last game was on the road. Nebraska. They only won twenty 17 Yeah, that's not a good Nebraska team. We we watched them. We played them two weeks. That's not a very good team. So can our defense make enough plays? Make you know, Stroud uncomfortable enough behind the line of scrimmage? That's what we have to count on. This. I don't think this is going to be a game where Karloftis can just draw triple teams. He's going to have to make plays.
1: Yeah, and he's going to have to go against a very good offensive line, um, in order to make those plays and it's going to be a struggle for everybody because whether Ohio State is running out young guys like they are at quarterback or veterans as they are you know at other positions on the field they they run out much more talent uh, on paper than Purdue does it's just a matter of if they can put it all together uh, and play a complete game and and I don't know if Purdue, if they do that I don't think Purdue can keep up and win this game so I, I think we've said uh, enough about how Ohio State scares us so just to recap last week both Casey and I picked against Purdue uh, so I was four of four I picked Purdue 28 Michigan State 31. So I had I had some confidence that Purdue could keep up with Michigan State, but regardless, that's a miss for me. So I now sit at four and five, um, and I'm I'm not sure I'm going to make it to bowl eligibility here.
0: That Nebraska uh, game is sitting heavy on your schedule.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, Casey is now uh, he picked Michigan State last week as well, 28 to 13. So he was not as confident, but ultimately that doesn't matter because it's still a loss. Uh, now he is sitting at six and three. Uh, on the season. Is that right? Six and three? Yeah. Um, Six and three on the season. He's bowl eligible. I am not. Now, someone listened to the podcast last week when they heard us both pick against Purdue, and they indicated that for me, in order to come back and beat you, I need to be more strategic with my picks. So since you picked Michigan State last week, I really, even if I didn't believe it, should have just picked Purdue because that's the only way I'm really going to catch up. Um, So... It made sense, but I also want to be right, Uh, and I really did think Purdue was going to lose last week, so I I went with my gut, Um, and I think I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. I guess I'm going to let you go first, as we always do, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I have a feeling I know which way you're going. So, Casey, let's hear your prediction for the game. Saturday, again, 3.30, ABC.
0: 32-29.
1: Are you going to say which team is which, or? Purdue. Are you really? Let's go. Oh my god. Let's go. That's That's let's I go. Not, I did not expect that. <laughs> Woohoo! Coming in hot. You did I, say look, you weren't you did say you weren't gonna be negative about the team I anymore. Piled, that,
0: I have piled crap on Brom all season. Team grew it. Let's go. 32-29 on the
1: road. Buckeyes fall. You know what? If that happens, I I don't like we shouldn't. I shouldn't even be able to talk anymore on the podcast yeah. because you're a football genius and I, we just let you go on for 40 <laughs> minutes. That's what I say. I just I, – I get the appeal of being
0: a homer now. Usually I'm the guy who, like, makes fun of people for being homers and prides myself on being even balanced. But it's way too much fun to just come on other programs, like, other programs for other schools and be like, nah, we going to smash.
1: <laughs> Love it. We're going to smash. It. Well, this opens the door for me because – uh Honestly, if you had picked Purdue or picked Ohio State, I was thinking of picking Purdue. But now that you've picked Ohio State, I think this does give me an opening. I can at least go against you here uh, and see if we can switch it up a little bit. Save so, your soul, if you must. I must. I must. I will pick Ohio State. I do think they're just too talented. I think their offense is too good. Um, I think. You know, they like you said, they didn't do very well against Nebraska on the road there, uh, but they're coming back home to the horseshoe, where again, it's just a terrifying place to play if you're an opponent. so I, I think i I hope it doesn't get out of hand. Um, you know, these games have a have a tendency to get away from Purdue when we go on the road, you know, to game to places like Michigan or Ohio State, you know, I've seen too many of those games in my lifetime, but I am going to pick uh Ohio State 35, Purdue 21. So it it's not going to be as close as I would like it to, but I I think Purdue will put on a, a decent showing. They're not going to be embarrassed up there, but it'll it'll allow them to come home or I'm sorry, go back to uh Wrigley Field for some reason. Uh <laughs> with with two games left in the season and hopefully um get a couple more wins and and set themselves up for a nice bowl game. So there we go. Casey and I picking uh different outcomes for this Ohio State game. So one of us will be right uh come Sunday night when we record. So Milton Wright's uh, gonna score three. There times. you go. I love to see it. Uh if that happens, again, I'm just not gonna talk <laughs> next week and we'll see. Uh we'll see what happens. But uh There we go. Uh, For Casey and myself, thank you so much for listening. And uh, Boiler Up, watch some basketball tomorrow and some football on Saturday. Boiler Up! You crazy son of a (laughs) a (laughs) bitch. Can't believe you did it.